<laughs> Welcome to August. And we're back. Do we have a, we never had a theme for August, which I guess doesn't really matter because by the time you hear this, it'll probably be September. And so you missed August. Shame on you for not being here when we did the show live because we don't do the show live. Well, you know, anyway. a lot of pl- places take a summer month off, you know, and spend it with their families. So very, you know, we're very European here. Uh, cosmopolitan. This is a, this is we're a, fam- we're a family show, if anything else. It's a global podcast. Yeah. So, uh, right. yeah, let's start the show. Welcome to the Bottle of Brown podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios is my man, the Baron of Bourbon, the Kaiser of Cali, the Liege Lord of Loathe. We uncovered you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Danny. What are you doing? I'm surprised you haven't added in there the guy who never has anything better to do, Leon Coventry. <laughs> My brother uh, from another mother, my friend from the other county over Leon Coventry. People, people don't know on this podcast that you and I carried our high school through a theatrical time that needed to happen. Such deep, compelling, and rich histories in the theatrics. You know what I was listening <laughs> to the other day? I was listening to What You Want by the Beastie Boys. What? To what? To what you want? And I know that was our anthem when we went to the Laverne uh, acting competition where Matthew Lillard mm-hmm. came out and made all the girls scream. Mm-hmm. I remember I was mm-hmm. there. Where were you when Matthew, Matthew Lillard showed up in Laverne? Ooh, wait, wait. I think we all remember that day. Was it Laverne or was it Fullerton? See, I gave, I got my festivals. Fun. No, I think you're right. It was Laverne. It was Laverne. So it is uh, 17th of August in the year of 2023. We are recording right. here. And uh, this is our first of August, I believe, Leon. Uh, I think so. Summer's gotten in the way. Yeah, summer summer got away from us, and uh, I think I'm looking over you know what here. What happened at, on uh, Tuesday? I'm look. What happened on Tuesday? We dumped our kids off on on the establishment, and and we got a lot more free time out of it. Oh, good man, good man. We mm-hmm. are we are two weeks into that, and we are very much. Oh, joyous. are you? It is a joyous occasion. Yeah, thir- July 31st was the first day of school. Uh, you are kidding in, me in the Phoenix, and I have. When do the kids get out? I have a theory behind it. Oh, they get out uh, second week in May. Oh my God. So my theory is, uh, and this is an Adam ruins everything type theory. My theory is that poor kids don't have air conditioning. And so they want to bring them back as early as possible so that they, they get the free lunches and they get the air conditioning. Because there's, I don't know if you know this or not, Leah. I don't know if it's been in the news outside the local news here, but we had over 30 days of 110 degrees here in Phoenix. Yeah, I've heard that. And if that's really the reason, I support it fully. As a matter of fact, you should just flip the whole school year on its head. And just very, very summer surprised. should be in winter. People are very surprised that it's hot out here in the desert. It's like we're in the desert or something. <laughs> Neither here nor there. What is your brown for this evening, sir? I am going with Elijah Craig Toasted Barrel, 1789. It, it's a good, mellow, 94 proof, nice drinker. It's it's nothing that's going to light you on fire. But if you like flavor, uh it's it's a good one. It is exceptional. I, I don't know that anybody I've been around that's ever tried this did said, you know what? I don't like that one. <laughs> I don't think it's going to win any contests. But <laughs> doesn't I think exist. Doesn't exist. I uh, I went. I I am having a there is a there is a dearth of the brown in Danny Paul's cabinet. So I need to really go out and pick up a couple of bottles of and have a nice eclectic mix because what I'm really left with tonight is sucking down some some nice bullet neat because I'm, I'm yeah, out of you everything. are definitely in trouble mm-hmm. if that's your go-to I'm gonna have to this mail is, you some. um you know what I consider that because this I like bullet I think I think bullets a solid a solid brown but I think of bullet as like that last pair of underwear that's kind of scratchy and uncomfortable and you know you need to do laundry mm-hmm. by the time mm-hmm. I get down to my big you know gallon and a half bottle of bullet that tells me I need more brown no, I get it it serves its purpose it does but barely awesome as and mixer, people are a little bit disgusted by the practice but still, it's serving a purpose. Well, I get you it. know, I'm I'm not going to ask anybody. Do you have bullets? No, I'm I'm going to assume you have bullets. You know what? I actually have no bullet in my house right now. Really? I like 250 bottles, and not one of them is do, bullet. Do you have a garden hose? 
Yeah. Utility Brown, you have to have it. You know, you're right. I really should have it on hand for mixers. I I, I don't think we've ever. No, you, that's not right. I purchased a bottle of a bullet when we went to the b- bullet tour. Yeah. And I, I think I'm a little unfair on bullet, which was a go. I just, hmm? Which was a go. When was the last time you were? Oh, bullet? yeah. Oh, God. Four years ago. All right, so stop beating yourself up about it. Go down to the Costco's and get the gigantic Costco bottle. Yeah, well, we got the gigantic um, Woodford today because we didn't have any any of the cheap stuff around. Also, excellent choice. Yeah, it's it's good to have a big bottle of Woodford, big bottle of Buffalo Trace, big bottle of Bullet around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like somebody who likes regular whiskey not having a bottle of Jack in the house. It just doesn't make sense. They call it uh, the daily drinker. Got to be daily. Yeah, the daily drinkers. I like. Wow. Oh, well, now that we did talk about Brown, let's, uh, let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest Brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, Brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about Brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Tonight's Talk About Brown comes to us from Gallup. That's right. The people that do polls. I grabbed this one from Gallup so be because right. I thought it was, it was on brand for the show. This one's dated August 14th, 2023. More than six in 10 Americans drink alcohol. Are you surprised? Well, the No Shit Award goes to Gallup. All right. I'm waiting for the news. <laughs> 10 out of 10 people like money. <laughs> Thank you, Gallup. <laughs> 11 out of 10 people doing great work. The 62% of Americans who currently report that they drink alcohol is in line with Gallup's 63% average dating back to 1939. Majorities of Americans have said that they had occasion to use alcoholic beverages such as liquor, wine, or beer. Over the more than eight decades, Gallup has tracked this measure. However, higher mm. readings peaking at 71% were recorded between 1974 and 1981. Ooh, before and we, we have ourselves a fancy graph here that says we had a low of 55. 55% of Americans was our nadir, and that was 1958. And our peak was, yeah, very much in the late 70s, right around the time of our consummation and birth. 1978 was our peak at 71%. Well, maybe that's why we like booze as much as we that's do. Gotta be in. Uh, that's we gotta be it. We, we are a product of the times. Speaking of the times, someone else joined us here in the Bob Media Studios. That's right. He is the Pharaoh of Finance, the Beige of the Bay, the Sultan of Soccer. It is Mr. Jones, ladies and gentlemen. What's up, buddy? Oh, it's so good to be on. Sorry. Oh, back. Bath time always back. runs. You guys, you guys start a little bit early for me. Bath time, yeah, bath time. Bath time is, is the bath time. Listen. We are in the midst of brown news here, sir. And what we're talking about is more than Boost. six in 10 Americans drink alcohol. I'm going to put a poll out there and we're going to see if the Bobs will vote on it. I'd like yeah. to change Mr. Jones' name to fashionably late. That's <laughs> <laughs> who he is. That's what you're about. And it's what you're going to get Own for it. a few more years. Own it. Just Tom how this rolls. Tardy. That's you. <laughs> what are you drinking there, Mr. Jumps? Yeah, what's your brown? Yeah, oh, so my brown tonight is, so we had the hippie um, in town. Oh, yes. Um, we didn't get him on tape. We, we, did, we didn't. We, it was a wild time. So um, the hippie happens to be our roommate from college, and uh, he lives in Berlin. Bo Fire's so, friend of the show, episode five or six, I believe. Yeah. And uh, he was doing a trek over here, and I got one of his favorite things to drink is a Sazerac. So this is a very tall Sazerac. It's a double here. Um, I the think rye? it's the Russell. The, yeah, it's the Russell Rye. Okay. Well done, sir. Well done. And it is delicious. It is a good one. Are there any fans of Sazeracs out there? Uh, you know, I like I like the Sazerac. Yeah, I got, a, I got uh, the big bottle. I, I no I'm no no. To, I'm just it. saying this is the cocktail. This is the oh, cocktail. Sorry, not, not oh, you booze. made a mixer. Not the booze. This is Fancy. this is the cocktail Sazerac. What, so it's what got, is it? What is a Sazerac? Tell us. Tell us what's so in you it. got. Usually it's a rye with mm-hmm. a little. It's usually supposed to be a sugar cube and water. You just simple syrup, um, okay. Puchons, uh bitters, and um well that's basically it and then you basically add a little, old, that's an old-fashioned old fashion no, you add a little bit of absence over the top of it with a twist of lime 
So it's close yeah. to being the same. It's the Pichons, yeah. which yeah. would be Anger's Bitters and the Absinthe Topper. So it's a new fashion. Hmm. This is the oldest American cocktail. Hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. So uh, da, 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 May 4th, 2020 was when Bo Firethorn was on the show. That was episode eight. Those of you bobs out there that are looking at the archives, because we're currently on, oh, I don't, even, I don't even know what episode this is. This could be 89. This could be 90. Uh, I'll know so? once I get caught up. Wow. I told, I told uh, Danny that he's got to, we, we got to hire an intern. We need to do a, a car wash. I will be, guys, I'll be topless if it's necessary. Like if that's going to bring in the money. But we will pay for an intern to cut these shows G-strings a little faster. Only. It's, it's G-strings only in this car wash. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i yeah. rocking some double Ds, I think, at this point. So Yeah? Mm. So it's a show for everybody. You know, oil and oil and Flame around? Well done. Mm-hmm. This one caught my eye because I think with the with the Gen Zs and the Gen Alphas coming online now, Gen Alpha, for the record, is I think eleven years old and under, but Gen Z is technically eleven to twenty six. So we could have some bobs out there that fall within Generation Z. The uh, the word is that the millennials are twenty seven to forty, maybe forty one right now. I uh, know. 40, 43, 27 to 43 is the millennials. uh, And then 26 to 11 years old are the Zs. So you might have some, we might have some bobs of the generation Z, but the thing with them is these mocktails, right? The non-alcohol drinks. And so I wanted to get an idea of what we're talking about here when six in 10, maybe those remaining four are from said generation. The latest data from Gallup's July 3rd to 27th consumption habits poll finds drinking is more prevalent among Americans in some demographic groups, middle-aged adults. Yes. Those with higher incomes, yes. College-educated adults, yes. And those who attend church less frequently than once a week are all associated with higher drinking rates than their counterparts. That one right there is a four for four. What is that? That's not the trifecta. Is that the exact? No, that's a a four for four is the, oh my God, I'm brain farting. It's parlay is what it is. You know what it is? That's the Uh, Bob audience right there. Boom. uh, Superfect is five, so it's like quad or something. I don't know. Quad, the bonds are going to be very angry for not me. Not Middle age, that. high income, college educated, attend church less frequently than once a week. Boom. Welcome, Bubs. Welcome. I wonder if any of this, we talked about when we were, I mean, this show kicked off in mid COVID and what COVID's effects were on drinking in the US. And I just, I wonder if whatever that jump or that rise was, has it come back down? to where it was prior to COVID or we are we just drunks forever now? Uh, well, I mean, the, if you look at the original data going back to 1939, it's pretty, it hovers pretty much from the mid fifties to the low seventies. So somewhere around uh, on the order of two out of every three people pretty much like to have a drink and it's, it's American. What's kind of neat with this mm-hmm. data though, is this chart we're looking at here is of the age groups, 35 to 54 are the boozers and that I would chalk up to parenthood. Uh, slightly less than that is 55 and older. And then the third group is 18 to 34. So that gets us into the young people don't drink part of it. But here's the interesting one. The more money you make, the more you drink. So less than $40,000 in annual household income is the lowest number of drinkers, probably because they can't afford it. But then as you go from 40 to $100,000 annual household income, that puts you in the second tier. And then you got a big jump. So we're looking at 53 to 58%. And then if you make more than $100,000 a year, you go from 58% to 79%. That's right. Four out of five people that have a lot of money drink. Want to be successful, kids? I'm just telling you. <laughs> well, you you said it. Uh, it's it, it's actually internationally a, a bonding agent. Uh, I think you were telling me about Japan traditions where everybody goes out to the bar and has some drinks. And you have full reign to rip your bar- your boss apart. Yeah, the Nomikai parties. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Like these these are the types of things that we need to stop pretending that alcohol is a bad thing. Anything in excess is a bad thing. Let's just be honest with that. But wow. when you're looking at these numbers, people are drinking, but we're living longer. There's a lot of things going on with it. What we the need data stress says, relievers. Well, stress relievers for sure. But what the data says is, if you're more successful, you drink alcohol. So if you're not as successful as you'd like to be, maybe you should start picking up some brown. The only one that's kind of wonky here is religious service attendance. If you go weekly, you're the least likely to drink. If you're nearly weekly or never, you're about even, 65 to 67%. But here's the great part here. If you're not a college graduate, 56% drink alcohol. If you are a college graduate, 74%, three out of four people with a college degree have a drink. What does that tell you? What else do I need to say about the bobs out there? You are educated. You are successful. (laughs) 
you are tired of your children bothering you. But we got let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the the silent minority here. Non-drinkers' reasons for not asked in an open-ended question to cite the main reason they do not drink alcohol. Non-drinkers most often say they simply have no desire. At the same time, between ten and sixteen percent of non-drinkers offer variously that they do not like it. It's unhealthy. They're afraid of the consequences. They've had a bad experience or health reasons prevent them from drinking or it's against their religious beliefs. Maybe that's why they factored in religion earlier. Uh, what would you say are the main reasons you do not drink alcoholic beverages? Number one was no reason. Don't care. Don't like it. Unhealthy. Afraid of the consequences and bad past experiences round out the top five. Now, most drinkers drank recently, but fewer overindulge. Among those who drink alcohol, 69% report having done so within the past week. Well, we've done it within the past minute, including 32% who say it was in the past 24 hours and 37 two to seven days ago. Another 32% say the last drink was more than a week ago. But on average, U.S. drinkers report that they had four drinks in the past week, which matches the trend average since 1996. This is a thing, people. This is a nice graph. You, know you guys see this? Can you go back up there? I'm, I'm very fascinated. Maybe they didn't ask the question, or maybe it wasn't an option, but I don't... Okay, there it is. Too expensive, costly. It was so low on the list that cost yeah, didn't three, even come into 3% play. percent talked about it being too expensive. Yeah. One in four people say they just don't want to do it. They're just, they're teetotalers. They're happy. No problems. Great. You know what? We'll take you. Come be a, Respect. come be a, uh, an alcohol free Bob. Yeah. But the thing is the one I got there that I just don't get is like, I had a bad experience with alcohol. <laughs> That'd be the freaking top of the list. Tequila and he didn't get along one night. Well, the fate like, of the consequences and bad past experience kind of go hand in hand, but they're both. Okay. So yeah, so 26. So let's put them both together. And there's your top reason why people don't drink. Doesn't uh, that make sense? Nice use of I had a bad experience. <laughs> Say it with me. I went down I'll to Mexico. Never do that again. And all I got was this T-shirt. I was left for dead. <laughs> uh, steady. One in five U.S. drinkers admit to imbibing too much. Do you sometimes drink more alcoholic beverages than you think you should? What's nice about this chart is it's trending down. You guys see this? Mm-hmm. So lowest so, levels of I drank too much is 2011. Highest levels of I drank too much, 1989. This, this is their by their interpretation. This is not whether or not people are drinking too much. This is whether or not you think you're drinking too much. much. Yeah, very good, very good. So we're coming to study. Yeah, so like a study came out in 2011 that probably said like, you guys are probably drinking too much. And all of a sudden everyone jumped on the bandwagon and boomerang right back again. See, Uh, bullshit on the COVID area. Because I guarantee you that would have, like, no one thought they were drinking too much during COVID because they weren't going anywhere and they had nothing to do. That's a good call. Obviously, they, they... there is no data for 2020. It looks like Gallup just skipped it. <laughs> Science proved that alcohol killed COVID. I'm pretty sure. I think we all know that. That was it. Come yeah. on, two or three drags, you know. Uh, it's in addition to tracking Americans' drinking habits. Gallup has gauged drinkers' alcoholic beverage of choice in most years since 92 has been beer, significantly more popular than liquor and wine. However, 37% of drinkers say they drink beer most often, while 31% prefer liquor and 29% favor wine. Now, we did have an earlier episode where we talked about this where actually I think due to White Claw, spirits pulled mm-hmm. ahead because that's technically malt mm-hmm. liquor as opposed to beer. So I think they're still neck and neck on that one. I think it's mis- misclassified. Misclassified. We need to put White Claw in the, in the beer Miscalculified. I think so, yeah. Uh, what is interesting here in the Gallup poll is that wine is the clear loser. Yep. Liquor has trending. pulled ahead of wine. So beer, beer maintains its hegemony. Uh, interesting point here, 2005, wine was the king. Do you guys remember anything about 2005 that would make wine king of all drinks? Mm, no. For whatever reason, beer dipped that up. year and wine, wine showed up. So 2005 was the wine year. Otherwise, beer is the undisputed king. That makes sense. Uh, here we go. Well, this is a we'll, fun we'll one. See, we'll see after the Bud Light drop. Did, did we did we get some more on we the bourbon? We do not have data track? on Bud Light, although I know that their their numbers are awful right now. They had a shitty. Quarter. Oh, it's gone. Yeah, they're not even they're not even the number one beer anymore. Modelo is, which is ironic because Modelo I think is by the same company. Is That's it? okay. Danny drinks Modelo. I like Modelo. I like. Ever since I've moved back to California from the Midwest. There was Midwest beers I loved. I liked I liked Yingling. Uh, big fan, especially in the summertime of Leinenkugel. Leinenkugel. Mm. It oh I know. I know Mr. Jones hates it, but to yeah. me that's that's that is the summer beer because it's lemonade beer. And if you're hot and you're on a boat or whatever, you you want some refreshing beer, and I like that. But I liked Canadian beers, Molson and Labatt. 
Like I drink a lot of that. You go down to Southern California, I can't find it. It's not here. So that's true. You, you, you get most of Canadian. You move to what you have. And a lot of Mexican beer. still yeah. hard to find. It's a lot of Mexican beer, which is good beer. It's just different. So I, I, I've been my into favorite's Mexico. Mexico. Well, like Pacifico. even the craft beers that go like, they got a lot of the, uh, the lagers out there, the, you know, uh, 21st Amendment, Sully. There's an example of a really good Mexican lager. Mm-hmm. Those are awesome. Never heard of it. I'll bring some down for you. So How we've do got you some... What Northern California have different Mexican beer selections than I have in Southern California? Because well, it is because the breweries in San Leandro. Uh, it's just okay. it, it depends on your brewery. So, like I guarantee, you, like it depends on if that brewery decided to do a Mexican lager. And I think you are seeing some breweries out there doing Mexican lagers more and more right now, which is basically a skunky lager. Yeah, it's a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I make the argument that Modelo Especial is what Budweiser used to be before they started pouring sugar into it. Mm-hmm. And then I like to drink the Modelo Oro. Which is the 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 pistol can mm-hmm. with the low oh, calorie? That, that actually is pretty good. You put a lime in I, that. Bitch? I will oh. not make fun of you for that. What I love to Even say Corona is Corona Premier is good. I don't I've tried Corona Premier, but I got the Modelo Oro. And here's the thing: is I go and I grab a regular beer, and the regular beer says 400 calories. And I go and I grab the Modelo Oro, and that says 95 calories. And I say to Mrs. Danny Paul. Listen, I can have four of these and still be better than that one beer. So you should be proud of me for the for the smart choices that I make around my diet. Mm-hmm. And what is uh, Mrs. Danny she, saying about that? She's clearly not a fan of math. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's science. You got to you got to use the correct terminology, which is: uh, is this cheaper? Is this better for uh, tonight's fat brown chicken brown cow? Mm-hmm. And if so, then oh no, wait, we're all married. That's gone. Well, that's off. That's off the table. Just, just saying. Just saying. Uh, I got some interesting demographic data here from the final chart. Yes, yeah, final chart in the article before we move on. Uh, men love beer the most. Surprise, surprise. But we're talking arr, about arr, 53% arr. of men like beer. So not that only is it sense. way overpowering, uh, 15% of men like wine better, which is weird. But then when you go down to the females, it's wine all the way. 44% are wine drinkers. And you can see in this sure. color coded for those of you Bob's listening at home, you go to the website, you'll see it's green, dark blue, and light blue uh, for beer, wine, and liquor, respectively. And you'll see that liquor kind of holds its own across genders, but it's very clearly that the dudes drink the beer and the ladies drink the wine. Now, when you break it down by age, a little bit more complicated. The youngins like the beer and the oldens. Cheap like the beer but the middle range the 35 to 54 all you bobs out there we are pretty evenly split one third one third one third we are equally accepting of all types and i will tell you that that tracks with my fit my friend group i would say that it's a third a third a third the 18 Mm. to 34 demographic seems to hate wine 16 percent Uh, Also along those lines with college graduates, it's pretty even split, 29, 39, 30, with wine being the big one for college grads. And for non-college graduates, again, we're back to beer. But then by the time we get down to household income, again, $100,000 or more in annual household income is pretty even split, 34, 35, 29, versus if you make less than $40,000, it's pretty much beer only, maybe liquor, but certainly no wine. So would that correlate with money then? Mr. J, what do you think? I think so. Is wine expensive? Really, Therefore, if you don't make any money, you don't drink it? Pretty much. Good wine, at the, least. In, in wine, for sure. Well, it's stackable wine, yeah. I was a anyway. two-buck chuck guy when I was in that demographic. Yeah. Everybody, everybody loves two-buck chuck. Shelf stable. Stacks in the corner. Anyway, neat, interesting information from Gallup. Uh, for those of you that are new to the show, we like to post all these links in the show notes. So when you go to the show page or on your, uh, wherever you get your podcast, you'll see the links to each of these follow along as you're listening to the show. Uh, but that wraps up talking about Brown. Let's uh, let's get to our let's get to our top story. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Tonight's top story comes to us from Business Insider. This is an interesting one to me, as we've gone from the great reshuffle to the great reckoning to the great rehiring to the great whatever. We're we're starting to get to the point now where. Due to population statistics, you're probably looking at an area of where there is a severe drought for certain age groups, and it just seems like nobody can find workers anymore. So with the way, again, we're going to keep a little Gen Z trend going here, but think about what it is to to work for a company. Now, people of our generation, those of you born anywhere between 77 and 82, just to arbitrarily pick a five-year time frame, as you were leaving high school... We had the dot-com bubble. As you were achieving some kind of success in your career, we had the Great Recession. And then as you were probably coming into your childbearing years and the, and with the time where you got the most debt with cars and mortgages and whatsoever, 
you get COVID. So there's a lot of shocks that come and hit you with a certain age. And I'm sure you take a different look on things the way your parents do. And so this was an interesting little take from Microsoft's former vice president of human resources, four things to never do as an employee. And we can put this one up for debate. Number one, offer or expect company loyalty. 100%. Uh-uh. Boys, do you, do you offer loyalty or expect it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, have to. I do. You have to lean on it. You got to hope that it's there because I'll just get into my own spiel is that I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the people business. And so I need loyalty and as I'm dealing with people. And so to, to not believe that, you know, I'm not going to get that from my employees. I, I need to have loyalty to the company. I need them to, to, to buy into it, to, to be on board. And, you know, if you don't, then, you know, you just, just churning and you're going to turn it, you're going to turn this employee to the next one. So you, yeah. And you know, when I think about the word loyalty, when it, as it pertains to being in a company, I don't necessarily mean I'm the only one What's you know, at being a, a business owner. I'm not saying that I expect people to never leave. As a matter of fact, I absolutely encourage, promote, and will do anything. If you tell me I want to be a astronaut, I'm working with you now, but I want to be an astronaut. Okay, let's, let's get you on the path to be an astronaut because if you are engaged in their future, um, then, then they'll be engaged with you as well. So that's when I think in a professional environment, when I'm thinking about loyalty, I'm thinking that you are putting, when you're making business decisions, your company ahead of other motives. And that's the way I think of loyalty when it comes to your company. Um, if you think you're always running these situations where, especially if you really give a, a, a wide berth to people to, and you don't want to, you don't want to be a micromanager, you start to get into scenarios where there are advantages or perks when you select certain vendors, uh, I remember in the aviation game that some of the fuel providers would give gift cards and incentives to the pilots to come do fuel there. Are you really doing your company a favor by going there when it's four cents more a gallon? Uh, just so that you can get that gift card and go to the movies later on. So they they knew what they were doing. They were playing on, the, on you know, whatever it took for the, the pilots to to buy their fuel versus any other supplier's fuel. And I would also, but you know, in my world, it's just, it's just uh, normal vendors, but it's so easy to do under the table stuff. I mean, that's what business is a lot of times. Like you hire me, I'll give you this kickback under the table, but the business itself is losing money. And when you talk about something in my size, it's a small business, every little bit, means something. It's not like we're a big Visa or a big Apple or where these little moves don't really affect the bottom line, little tiny moves. But in my world, it's a big, it's a big impact. And uh, so when I'm thinking about loyalty, I'm thinking about, are you putting the business's interests first when you're making decisions, or are you putting your own? Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong on the definition. And, on then, that. and then conversely, how do you as the business treat the employee when they need you. 100%. Good example. I have somebody right now that is unfortunately going through chemo and I don't even mess with the long-term disability or that your salary's there and the job is there when you get back. It's currently there. It's never, never missed a beat, you know, and that's, that's a no brainer for me. You know, like this person's worked for this for 15 years. They're going through some hard times. Don't worry about the job. Don't worry about any of this. You worry about getting yourself better when you're done and you feel like you're up to it. Come on back. They're they're invited to all the meetings, virtual. They can be a part of anything they want to jump into, but there's no obligation. I know that's a big difference between some of the big box. They can't do that on a wide scale, but I can do that on a mom and pop. So I do. So I think uh, I think it is go it goes two ways. And if you give if you give that type of uh, loyalty, I guess, in this case, but if you're, if you're out there, I mean, are you a good person? <laughs> Do you support people? Do you honestly, genuinely care about them and their family and their well-being? It's pretty easy. It really is. Uh, if you're more, if you care more about bottom line uh, at a 3% loss, especially in my scale, it's not that big. Uh, no big deal, right? Like this is more give, important. People uh, do you are give more raises important. for time with the company? Um, I give raises based on performance. Okay. 
So that's that's kind of what I think the author is getting. Well, okay. Let me give you his take. But so don't expect okay, the company to reward take. your seniority and your paycheck. Don't expect it to promote you based simply on your longevity. And don't expect your company to be sympathetic to your years-long tenure when the layoffs are looming. It's going to treat you as a part of a cold business calculation, a simple exchange of value. The question is often, what have you done lately? Given the high-pressure world of finance and economics, it's wrong to expect otherwise. So don't expect loyalty from your company and don't offer your own. You're guaranteed to be disappointed. If your long tenure helps you understand the company and your position better, use that to be more useful. Don't expect a reward just for your endurance. And if you can find a better role, however you define it, in some other position at some other company, take it. Don't let a sense of unrequited loyalty hold you back. You should never be more loyal to a company than it is to you. Agree, disagree. I'll chime in here then. I would chime in here and I will say that I've been on both sides, obviously. Most people that are on the top usually are. They've, they've been in the, hopefully they've been on the bottom too. And I thought exactly the same for on the bottom that I do now on the top, which is you have a job to do. You're, you're there to perform a certain duty. If you do it excellent, you should be rewarded for it. This um, theory or behavior that says, well, I've been doing my job, the job you asked me to do, and I've done it longer than the guy less, next to me, you should pay me more. I don't believe in that mindset. And I don't, I don't even call that loyalty. I call that mailing it in. If you've been there longer, you should be better than the person next to you. You shouldn't be mailing it in and say, well, I've put in more time. Are you better at it? Or is the person left you better at it? That's, that's, that's my mindset about it. And I know it's not widely, I know it's an unpopular opinion in a lot of cases, but it's also the truth. You're not, no, you're not there for fun. Otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to pay you. But uh, if you're performing well and it, and the targets are clear of what you're trying to hit and, uh, and, and transparent and, and clear, I, 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 I don't understand. I guess, I guess if you flip the question and say, okay, great, Danny, you've been, you've been in a company for 10 years. Um, you've, you've got the ins and outs, you know, the vendors, you know, the working inner workings of this company better than anyone. Great. And this guy that's been here for two years is running circles around you. How do you feel the compensation should go? And, and nobody that's be listening at home, Leon and I just shrugged at each other on the bottom end of that. When you're in the bottom end, you're like, but I've given so much of my life. I've given so much of my life. And I think one of the best quotes, and if you go search it and I wish we had it here is that mad men quote. That's what I pay you for. That's right. That's I don't the need money to con- continuously. Con- yeah, that's what the money is for. You never say thank you. I don't need to you. constantly that's compliment you for, for it. Right. If so you the argument are- here is a simple exchange of value, which leads us to number two, which is right. ask the boss for a raise. The minute you're asking for a raise, you're starting from behind from a position of weakness. You're asking for something as if it would be a favor to you. The conversation no, you should be having is about a clear value exchange. So the idea is you provide the company with value. The company should reciprocate. That's how it thinks about you, that's how you should present it. Don't talk about market value. Don't talk about other people and what they get. Don't ask for it because you need it or you have a family support. Spend the time to calculate to the best of your ability, the value you generate on behalf of the company. Detail the output you create, the revenue you generate, the savings you realize, and so on. Be clear on the dollar value on the return on its investment in you. Present this to your boss. Come from a position of strength, of pride in your contribution, then discuss how the company can return a fair share of that value to you versus I've been here for 20 years. I deserve a raise. Yeah. Agree or disagree? Well, I've been doing most of the talking, so Mr. Jones is going to have to chime in here. No, I agree. I think there's just different ways. You can always play this one and how you're going to play your hand when this situation comes up of value, worth, timing, and the way you start the conversation. So, yeah. You want to try and give some metric value of what you think you provide to the company to make it easier for them to make this decision. Yeah, performance plays. Performance does play. Attitude plays as well. People don't, I I am totally, I'm totally on board. Um, If you're easy to work with, if you're a go-getter, like sometimes it just doesn't work out, right? But you tried and you, you put your all into it. That's, those scenarios are, you know, those are the ones that people bring up and they're like, well, you know, I, I've worked really, I, everyone, by the way, uh, newsflash, everybody thinks they're the best. They're not necessarily obviously the best, but they think they are including you, the person that's listening right now, you think you're the best at what you do. I promise you, you're not, but I think you are. (laughs) 
Take them out at the knees. And yeah, it's 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 a reality. It's true. I know I'm not the best at what I do. I do the best. I you know, I'm trying to get better every year and trying to do things better. And I think that's where you really start to separate the the wheat from the chaff. And okay, uh, number three. Uh, but what did you have a final yeah, thought? Let's go through. All right, number three. Make empty threats. I think we can all agree on this one. In the same vein, never make a threat you don't fully intend to follow through on. Don't threaten to leave without another job. Don't threaten to take legal action. Don't threaten your boss or the company in any way unless you intend it to be the last thing you do there because they'll very likely take you up on it. Once you've turned to threats, the mutual respect of your relationship with your employer is gone. You've made that quite clear. And it's likely to be happy to have you out of here. So threaten to leave or fight only if you really mean it and expect the worst. You're going to bluff. You better be prepared to have your bluff called. Agree or disagree? 100% agree. And also don't drop a grenade on your way out. You know, oh, yeah. like, like I, I, I've watched this so often where it's like, you're, you're in a small community typically with the industry in which you choose in and you work in and you are going to come across these people. It's going to happen. And it's, it's quite astonishing when you watch someone literally drop a grenade on their way out and go peace. And you're like, that's going to bite you in the ass. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually. Yeah. So it's kind of, it falls in that empty threats thing where it's like, you should play your hand, you know, cordially because you're going to come around again. It's going to be seen. There's a current I think, piece. Of I think threats are the worst thing you could do. Yeah, I think sure. they're the absolute worst. If you come in telling, if you come in telling me like, you know, I got this one over here. That's they're going to pay me 20% more. I'm just saying, you know, I, I would, I would, I would stay like that. When I'm starting to hear that kind of thing, my answer is, I think you should go. Mm-hmm. Because I actually do care about you and your family. And I do think that you should go. And ultimately, uh, I can probably, and especially in today's job market, I can probably replace you. Uh, it's going to take some time. I'm going to take some hits. But at the end of the day, if you, if you have a true I'd rather company have culture, that wants to be here. Yeah. If you have a company culture that, that encourages growth and encourages people to grow up you know, maybe you don't have the upward mobility in your company available. Of course, I want people to go up and out and get out. So if you're going to come to me and say, I got this opportunity and they're going to pay me more or whatever, I'm going to say, go take it. You know, that's great because you know what? The four people below you have been waiting for an opportunity to move up <laughs> and they're bust busting their ass too. So this is a great opportunity for them. Everybody wins. And if it's an empty threat, you're an idiot because now you got nothing. There's a uh, there's a growing kind of dogma going on out there in the business circles where every couple of years you want to go out and shop yourself. You want to go out and interview. You want to go out and see what your market value is. And the mm -hmm. idea is it's a litmus test. What What is your <laughs> role? What is your skills? What is your personal brand going for? And the idea is if you do get a job offer, you can go back and have an honest assessment of your boss. You can say, listen, I love it here. I really like working here. I just want you to know. This is my market value. Is there anything we can do to close the gap? Or if you really, really need the money, then you got to be prepared to say, I really want you to match this, but I got to go. In which case, I think mm -hmm. Leon's point is extremely on point. Listen, I want you to be better and do better. And you clearly can't get that here. So I wish you the best of luck. But the idea as, to Mr. Jones's point is come honest with it. Be respectful. Don't drop a grenade. Simply say, this is my market value. This is what I found. Here's the evidence of it. I really want to stay. Can we have a conversation? And that's probably the best way you're going to go about it rather than cajole and threaten and, and start getting into situations where you're going to do some stupid. Yeah. And I think at the end of this list, I, I have some recommendations on if you really do think you're worth more on how to approach that with your boss. But I, let's hear the rest of these points. Well, the last one, number four, is ask for help unprepared. When you turn to somebody for help, be prepared before you ask. This goes for every kind of help, whether that's help in doing your job, help in making a decision, or even help from your manager or HR to resolve a difficult situation. Go into the conversation with clarity about your options and your ask. What is the ask? Spend the time, carefully understand the situation, document the history, and outline the choices. Explore the problem in detail. So when you do turn for assistance, you're able to make a clear and specific ask, not just some vague plea for help. This one I have a personal interest in because I've had people that I worked with who were clearly overworked. They were disregarded. They were taken advantage of. 
And it wasn't mm-hmm. malicious. It wasn't like the manager was evil. He was just like, well, I tell them and they do it and it seems everything's fine. And, you know, they they bitch in the dark, but they never bring it up. And then eventually what happens is they have an outburst. I can't do this. I need help. You know, and that's a that's an emotional cry for help. But what eventually happens is you as the manager go, okay, great. I'm sympathetic. What do you need? I need help. Okay, what? What would you like? What would you like me to do here? You know, I need more people. I need fewer hours. I need this much more resources. I need you to cut a check. You know, if you need help, you need to ask for what it is that you think will help you rather than just a blind plea for I can't do this anymore. What do you guys think? Um, You ever run into that situation? You ever have somebody say, I can't do this, I need help? but they don't have any constructive solutions as to why. Yeah. And I think, I guess I would say in a different format, and I've been through a lot of leadership training uh, modules and, and groups and offsites and everything through through years and years of training. And, and one thing that they bring up a lot of times is if you have an employee that comes to you and says, this, this fucking thing is broken, you know, this, this thing has got to be fixed. This is a problem. Your response as a manager is, well, what would you suggest and how do we fix it? And nine out of 10 times it throws for a loop because I am and most leaders are in the same boat. We're not looking for seagulls to come shit on our lap and fly away. We're looking for people that have the ideas. I noticed this thing is happening. Here's what I think we should do. Now you don't, I don't have to go with your idea, but the fact that you came with the solution or a possible solution shows that at least you're trying to to mend the problem. You're not trying to say there's a problem and you're the guy that has the title that is supposed to fix problems. So here it is. You'll never, ever, 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 ever succeed in corporate America. If you do that, that's, that's a fact because all leadership training is against that. 100%. And everybody's going through the same leadership training. So don't do that. Come with a solution. Even if it's wrong, at least you try. When you're given an opportunity to present to a superior, you're going to want to give a status quo of the department. You're going to want to give progress towards goals. If you can't reach those goals, you're going to want to say why. And if you can't reach those goals, you're going to want to have something in your back pocket as to why you can't reach those goals and what you would need to reach them. And it can Mm -hmm. be outlandish as necessary, but what you don't want to do is simply walk in and say, this is broken. I can't do it and provide nothing. There should be an ask. There should be an awareness of why it's broken or what could be given to you. Now, if your boss comes back and goes, I hear you. I understand. We don't have the resources. I can't provide you with that. That's a completely different situation. What we're talking about Mm -hmm. here is when you ask for help unprepared, it's let me throw the monkey on your back, boss man. You need to solve this. And the boss is probably going to say is... Of all of the things that I have to deal with, you have now just given me something that is so far down my priority list. You're on your own. And I would even say you could relabel this point as don't vent to your boss. Vent to your friends, vent to your coworkers, vent to your wife, vent to your husband. Don't vent to your boss. That doesn't do anybody any good. That just makes you a bitcher. You bitch. Your problem. I promise you, every, everyone always looks up and goes, look how easy they have it. Look how hard I have it. it's not always the case. The grass is always greener. It's always, you always think, ah, I am busting my butt and they're just up there going to galas and balls. And I'm down here. I'm the little guy working my butt off. And it's, it's true. There's, there's crappy bosses out there. Everyone's had them. Everyone knows who we're talking about, but I'm telling you right now, if, People just, all they want to do is vent to me. You, you have very little value to me. Don't vent to me. You don't, I don't care. We all have problems. If you're not coming with solutions or actual problems that can be solved, don't, don't vent to me. Find a friend. That's right. Go find a shrink. Bring a problem and bring an idea that shows that you understand the problem. Right. Okay. That's our top story. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Tonight's crank file comes to us from WRTV Indianapolis. That's right. Indianapolis is yes. news station. We talked about this last year, and I'm sure this goes on every single year, but the Indiana State Fair has the annual USA mullet championship when is this and when can we report from this live this my friend happened on saturday july 29th the indiana state fair is looking for 15 majestic mullets to compete live in the usa mullet championship on saturday july 29th the winner will take home 500 and earn a spot in the usa mullet championships 25 top 25 main event m-a-n 
E main. <laughs> Mr. Jones, event. could this be cooler than watching a groundhog get pulled out of a hole? It could be. The only thing that would make this better, it was 25 midgets with mullets. <laughs> well, just well, speaking of 25 you see the pictures, you might mullets, be there. Here are the kids. Oh. Top 25. They are midgets. <laughs> the They're kids. just children. I love it. Heavy, heavy, greatest. Oh my God! There's some winners. Goals. All right. Goals. So I gotta go with I gotta go with Ezekiel here. Top five. Dude. I like Brock. Like Brock Higgins. I mean, he's all in up oh, top. Yeah. Well, the, the glasses add to it. Oh, yeah. What else we got here? Oh, Mason. Mm. Heavy. Oh, Mason. Mason's hot now. Yeah. I like that. Mason's doing it. Oh, Owen, come on. He's got a lightning oh, in his the throw. Balls. Yo. Ooh, Owen, you're right. Owen's got some skills. Owen Escoto. All right. Oh, all right. All right. Do we yeah. have a winner? Do we have to pick a winner. Come on. It's a tough choice. We got to pick it. a winner out of this list. Uh, who's your I'm number going, one, Danny? My number one. So let me go back over these kids again. Such a tough decision. Such a tough decision. You know what? I think Brantley Kerwin here is speaking with authority. I got to go with that one. You know why? Because it's not your traditional mullet here. It's high and tight. It's business in the front and party in the back. Okay. I'm going to go All with right. Brantley Kerwin. Okay. Let me scroll. Okay. Who's up next? Leon, what do you got? Uh, it's it's a tie between Brock and Dayton because Dayton's hair, uh, he's he's yeah, Thunderdome, the Thunderdome right oh, there. Oh, right here, the Thunderdome. What's yeah, going that's, on there? That's, that's plumage in the front. That's that's it's a shit. That's plumage and that's some yeah, Joe Dirt action right there. Yeah, that's, that's some Joe Dirt joke. action. That's and some Joe Dirt action. And if you put a little bit of fuzz on that, I mean, the glamour shot is outstanding. Mm. So he's mm, all yeah. attitude too. So Brock, between Brock Higgins and Dalton Ellis. All right, good, Mr. J. I'm going Brock. I go Brock. Rock yeah. Higgins, I, I got. I, yeah. I think that is just that's well. It's got the curls. It's you know you got the Rock brown on top, the blonde on the bottom. I mean, it's just working it in so many angles. Rock is serious. I can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he, looks he knows what he's doing. He's he's holding on right. to that thing for a few more years. He ain't just getting rid of it. <laughs> right, I think well, Brock's our winner. Could out, be a lifer. Out, outnumbered two to two to one, guys. All you bobs out there, when you go and you check out this link, you're going to go for Brock Higgins B Rock and Rolls. Give you a little interest about this guy. He's from Douglas, Georgia. Wanted a mullet like the baseball players. I said no. The COVID hit, and I said, "Why not?" Now it fits his personality and wild spirit, and we couldn't see him. Oh, there's more photos. Give me some more. What was he got and on the he side? He has a star. Oh, he's got a star Carved on the side. Come on, guys. The temple gold chain with a oh, chain. Oh man, it's got the wave going. Oh, yeah. oh come this on, Brock is it. the man. This Nickelodeon shirt, absolutely. Brock Higgins, ladies and gentlemen, our winner of the day. He's a legend. So, do we know who won this tournament? We do not. Who actually, won based on what I can see here. Oh, we gotta have a follow up. You can buy follow shirts up. though. So, if you guys want to give to this foundation, you can buy some shirts here. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't say. It just says these are the top twenty-five. We need mm-hmm. a winner. Let's there go is back. a Hall of Fame. <laughs> of course, there is. <laughs> Oh my God. This is awesome. So this is the final round at mulletchamp.com, but we do not have a winner yet. This must be the final round of voting. So voting is currently closed. We're waiting to see with bated breath. If we remember enough, we'll come back and check this out. But I think Brock Higgins takes the cake. Miracle. And lick on my balls. <laughs> All right. That was the crank file. Let's let's get to the hero of the week. Tonight's Hair of the Week comes to us from our favorites over at the New York Post. They keep an eye on the Sunshine State for us, and we go to them for rich, rich, rich content. (laughs) This week's Hair of the Week comes to us from Florida. Florida woman doused herself in Diet Mountain Dew to erase DNA after killing a roommate. Mm. The article begins. Did it lower the sperm count? Florida woman suspected of murder accrued additional charges after she asked police for a soda, then poured it all over herself. An attempt to scrub forensic evidence from her body. Daytona Beach police said. Daytona Beach, Leon. Oh, the the tracks. It's this tracks. I can I can test to that. Nicole oh Max. my God, it's Susie. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I believe we know each other. We slept together. That was my RA, night. I think. <laughs> In the white cinder block dorm. Black home. Yeah, exactly. Black home. Black home. Susie King. Nicole Max, 35, was charged with tampering with evidence and resisting arrest with violence and premeditated first-degree murder and the death of 79-year-old Michael Sarasoli on August 5th per a probable cause affidavit shared with Fox News Digital. Firefighters were called to a smoldering home on the 600 block of Clark Street, 146 a.m. Clothes on the second floor had been set on fire, the Volusia County Sheriff's Office told Fox News, but said that they had no additional information on the arson investigation. 
After quickly extinguishing the flames, fire first responders found Sarasoli lying face down in a blood-spattered room. He had suffered blunt force trauma to the head and stab wounds to the torso. The dead man's landlord told police that Max was his other tenant, but the woman was nowhere to be found. She doesn't look like she's angry at all. Yeah, she looks happy. Yeah, she looks like What's she's her throat tattoo. Oh, there. she's got the throat tattoo. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, something yeah, like dicks and then looks giver. like Date. I don't know what that dates means. only. Dale. Dates. Dales. Something looks like a Christmas ornament. Nicole Max, 35, was charged with first-degree premeditated murder on July 4th, as well as evidence tampering and resisting arrest for pouring soda on herself in an attempt to scrub forensic evidence from her body. Volusia County Government Public Protection Corrections, two cell phones were recovered near the 79-year-old's corpse. One belonged to the victim, while the other, which had a bloodied knife balanced on top of it, belonged to Max. Less than two hours later, police said they spotted a barefoot Max with blood on her leg and ripped shirt outside a crystal restaurant in the nearby community of Holy Hill. When they approached, police said she dropped a knife and a hammer at their feet. What what is crystal? Leon what, what crystal is, is white castle. crystal. It's white castle. White castle. It's white castle. It is it just something different or is it called crystal? It's called it it's crystal, but it's literally a white castle. I mean mm-hmm. the food, everything is the same. I know Max, exactly where that restaurant is, by the way. On Clark Street. Max yeah. tried using diet Mountain Dew to get rid of her roommate's DNA in her body. Max evaded questions about her recent whereabouts and where she lived, first pointing in a direction and saying she lived right over there by a nearby pawn shop and then claiming she had been living on the streets for the last four years. She denied knowing Sarah Soli when detectives showed her his photograph. When pressed, police said she conceded that she knew the man but denied seeing him on the day he was murdered. Then she shifted again, telling police she currently lived with Sarah Soli and was at their home earlier that day. Nicole Max is accused of beating and stabbing 79-year-old Michael Sarah Soli to death in their shared home pictured here, Garden Spot. It's a beautiful home. It's a nice place. Then took Max into custody for questioning. After she was read her Miranda rights, Max told detectives that she never entered Sarah Soli's bedroom and only set foot on the second floor of their shared apartment to feed her spiders. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 When asked about the weapons she had dropped, police said Max became agitated and demanded a lawyer. Police returned later with a warrant to test the woman's bloodied body for DNA evidence. Max then asked for a can of Diet Mountain Dew, and police obliged her. And we have a picture of the crystal. This is the one, Leon? Mm -hmm. That's the one. I've been there. Looks like a fine establishment. And there's a sign here that says, get your side chick here. Open (laughs) (laughs) 24-7. Many people don't know that is the poorest county in Florida, so... Where'd it go, Volusia? Max began to resist and poured the can of soda all over her body and hair, pulling away from officers in attempts to interfere with the possible evidence on her body. Police then allegedly forced a pulling and kicking Max into their cruiser. Blood on the knife found near Sarasoli's body matched samples taken from Max's clothing. Police said the Daytona Beach News Journal reported that her DNA was also recovered on the weapon's handle. She's being held in Volusia County Jail without bond. Scheduled for a court appearance on September 5th. A recent now, study. What this, sorry. Go ahead. Continue. I was going to say what we have not established as you come to the end of this article. Did it work? Well, that's the interesting part is a recent study from North Carolina State University indicated that sucralose, a common artificial sweetener also known as Splenda and found in diet Mountain Dew, can break down the genetic material that makes up DNA. While researchers found that the sweetener could put people at risk for disease and wear down the lining of the intestines, it is unclear whether dousing oneself in soda would actually eliminate forensic evidence. We'll find out, won't we? Yes, we will. September I 5th, think we just County. learned something today. Down, douse yourself in diet soda yep. if you ever kill anyone. Break down genetic material with sucralose. Dun, dun, dun. Pew, pew, pew. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, that is awesome. Make sure you uh, make sure you visit the crystal on Daytona Beach. What we didn't learn here is what did this guy do? Because she's clear. I mean, she's if she didn't if she wasn't so tatted up and looking like she's I mean, she she would be a pretty lady, I think. Yeah, I think you could Photoshop her. She probably cleans up good. But whatever yeah. it is, the seven to nine year old was pissing her off. Uh, but yeah. you got to imagine let's, her ingenuity here. Of, let's go. Let's go roll down to a crystal uh-huh. with the murder weapon mm-hmm. and then very very cleverly trying to erase DNA with Mountain Dew. Oh, Which, why didn't she get big, the Mountain Dew at the Crystal? Oh, <laughs> that's the story. She went down to what? Crystal for the Mountain Dew and they didn't have it. Oh, she thought, you know what? Crystal, give it to you me. let them down. It's got to be it. Mm. Isn't Mountain Dew a, a, a Pepsi product? I think I it is. So. I believe and so. And there is a literally a Taco Bell right down the street from there. So oh. she went to the wrong place. Well, Baja Blast. Get that done. <laughs> All right. That wraps up uh, Hero of the Week. Let's do some adulting. Okay. How old are you guys? 
We're not fucking kids anymore. On a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your pain? Everything hurts. I'm a grown ass man, dog. Why pay taxes here, fucker? We're not like you. We're grown ups, motherfucker. When 900 years old, you reach look as good you or not. Hmm? This one started with an Instagram post, which was taken from TikTok of a Scandinavian woman who was saying to the host, yeah, we just leave our babies outside. It's totally okay. So of course, in our diehard investigative journalism here at the Bottle of Brown podcast, we went to Snopes and we got ourselves a fact check. Do Danish parents let their babies nap alone outside? The answer is yes. Yes, they do. That cultural norms vary from country to country. The practice of setting babies outdoors in strollers to nap is common in Scandinavia. A September 2022 TikTok video went viral, likely because it discussed a major difference in cultural norms that took many American parents aback. The video posted by Annie Samples, who lives in Denmark, has, as of this writing, been viewed nearly 16 million times. In the video, Samples talked about the Danish parenting practice of setting babies outside in strollers to nap while parents go about their business. Yes, they leave the stroller in front of the restaurant in the cold, and go inside. Samples said in the video that the reasoning for this is that letting babies nap outdoors provides health benefits such that it's even recommended by midwives and nurses. She went on to say that Danish people believe the fresh air is good for their baby's health and sleep quality and that children sleep outside in all sorts of weather. Babies are dressed warmly to guard them against the cold. It's common to leave your baby napping outside while you go shopping or sit in a cafe. Parents always keep a close eye or have a baby monitor in the stroller. It's true that Danish parents, as well as parents in other northern cold climate countries, have a practice of allowing their babies to nap outside in strollers while they go about their business. The BBC reported about it in 2013, but used parents in Sweden as examples. The practice is also in play in Russia. The comments on the video made it clear that the concept of letting babies nap outside was foreign to many, or perhaps not even possible. We live in New York City, one person wrote. Can't even leave a bag of chips outside. Another person noted, we'd go to jail if we did this. Samples is American and has been living in Denmark for over three years. According to her TikTok page, she told BuzzFeed in an interview that she lets her youngest of four children nap outdoors in Denmark. But having lived in the U.S., she acknowledges it wouldn't have been possible there. There are plenty of threats, but I think one of the biggest ones is someone calling the authorities on you. She emphasized that Denmark has a social safety net that ensures the safety of outdoor napping children. I do wish I had mentioned that another result of our healthcare system in Denmark, social services, and tight-knit communities is that there are endless checks and balances in place to ensure the welfare and safety of children all over the company, all over the country. The BBC article on the practice reported that actual health benefits for babies napping outside are not well documented. But I can see it. Thoughts? I, I love this article, and I'm glad that we dug a little deeper to make sure that it was real. It wasn't just clickbait. And I think there's, I had a personal experience with this, obviously coming from the Midwest. There's a, there is truth that if you grow up in cold climates, you're much more acclimated to it. I mean, that's just obvious. If you, if you're in hot climates, you're more acclimated to it. I, I promise you right now that most of people that live in Phoenix, if they were to walk outside on a 90 degree day, it would almost feel cool to them. It would yes. almost feel yes. nice. I can confirm that. Even when though I live in Southern California, it's a big deal. Yeah. When I live in Southern California and I walk out on a 90 degree day, I'm sweating my balls off. And in a lot of other places and, and in 90 degrees now, I'm throwing the humidity thing out. I'm not going to get into the humidity, humidity, not humidity thing. But I think that when I know for a fact that when I moved to Ohio, I was freezing, freezing for the first year. It took a lot of time for my, for me to acclimate to the fact that it's probably going to be below 40 degrees for about four months of the year, five months a year. And that's, that's a lot of time. You have to get used to that. And then when I moved back to California, I very quickly within six months acclimated to most of the temperatures are going to be between 40 and 70. Yeah, we get hotter than that. We get colder than that. But that's about where you live. And when you live in a place like Denmark, Norway, whatever, and a large amount of your life is spent in the cold, acclimating children. I mean, we do so much work acclimating children to language early on and listening to music early on and all these other things, because we know that's the developmental years. It makes a lot of logical sense to acclimating them to the weather. And I think that people are much more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. We just don't like big swings away from the, from the environment we're used to because I've seen the people that I, I'm sorry, Danny, you're a desert person at this point, but I've seen some desert people where you're like, you look like a shriveled up old lizard. But if you drop that person in Ohio, they're in trouble. 
they're not going to survive the winter. So it's just, it's just a, a survival technique that I think I, I'm in, in a big fan of. And I will tell you a, a quick personal story. When we went, we went on a cruise with my family from Southern California. This is the time we lived in Ohio. We, we went on a cruise to Alaska. Awesome, right? Alaska in the summertime peaks at like 70, 75 degrees. And most of the time it's in the mid fifties, high forties in the summertime. So our one, two-year-old daughter, almost two-year-old daughter in the stroller walking around, we have a light blanket on her. All my grandparents and elderly people, family that were with us, you need to bundle her up. You need to put a beanie on her. We're like, no, she's good. She is good. And we, we, we were putting him on because like the, the familiar pressure was too high. And my daughter grabbed that shit and threw it off her so fast. Like I am sweating my ass off and I'm, a, I'm only a year and a half old. Get this off of me. I need this cold, fresh air and loved it. And her temperament was wonderful. And so I think that it's hard for people who live in warmer clients, climates to process this. Obviously it's, it's, you can't be in San Francisco, LA, Chicago, New York and pull this off because it's not a great area right now. And crime is also the issue. And I think they're calling that on this article, but I think there's a lot Two, living in the conditions, especially early on in your developmental life that you're about to live in. That's my, that's my 10 cents. It thickens your blood to be in the cold when it's cold. And mm-hmm. out here, we keep our thermostat between 78 and 80 on a regular basis. And that to us, that makes fun to cry. Jesus. But when we go outside and it's 110 and it's uncomfortable, when it gets down to 102, you're right. We go outside and we go, oh, it's just kind of nice. And then by the time it gets down to 90, it's like, oh, this is, uh, like I've actually gone outside at 88 in the morning with my coffee and I'll be like, it's kind of cold. Amazing. And that's just what happens when you acclimate to the area that you're in. Mm-hmm. No, I totally yeah. agree. I, I, you are a product of your environment and how you raise in the sense of this, in the sense of children, adulting, um, you should welcome that kind of environment. It's good for them. No, I mean, we're not getting into the humidity alone, thing, but yeah. That's a product of the, of the geography. But the idea of leaving them out in the cold yeah, if they're used to it, totally acceptable. And That's I the think that also is another thing is I don't know if you guys notice this about your kids, but they have extremely high tolerance to cold. Yeah, they do. And you know what? People, people are incredibly resilient. We don't give ourselves any credit for it, but we are. If you give us, it's it's the sudden changes that we struggle with. But if you are from there and you live in there, I mean, you go talk to people up in Alaska, you, you watch those shows. Those people can handle some shit when it comes to cold weather. It They don't freeze their fingers and toes off. They know what they're doing. They know where that limit is and it, it doesn't bother them. Just like you crazy people in Phoenix who know, you know, I'm not going to go barefoot out in the street today. That's, that's a bad idea. Uh, I'm going to lose my foot if I do that. Now, interesting stuff. Uh, different cultures have different rules, of course, but it is nice to see that nice to see the kids in Scandinavia grow up in the element that they're in. Makes perfect sense. Anyway, that uh, wraps up adulting. Let's close out with some happy times. This one felt really good. This one comes to us from USA Today, dated August 10th, 2023. Family of seven takes in elderly neighbor as honorary grandpa. A family of seven in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, not a state, is adding an unexpected new member to the brood, their elderly neighbor. Shireen Caraballo and her husband Wilson make sure that 82-year-old Paul Callahan, who lives across the street, is invited to every family dinner, cookout, and holiday gathering. The kids run up to him like it's her grandfather. Paul is definitely a family member. He's no longer considered a neighbor. When her family moved into the house, they weren't sure what to expect. Our biggest fear moving into a new neighborhood was what if our neighbors don't like us? What if, because we have a lot of kids, they make a lot of noise and we come from a big family. So what if there's conflict? We're the only black family in the neighborhood. In Pawtucket, Rhode Island. She says the fear disappeared as soon as she met the neighbors, including handyman Callahan. He showed up with a ladder and offered pointers to help fix things around their newly purchased home. After learning Callahan's wife had recently died, Shireen's family started interacting with the widower on a regular basis. The relationship grew from there. Now he spends nearly every day at the house entertaining the kids and sharing stories about his life. 
you get many chances to talk to people. If you don't take a chance, you may miss a friend, said Callahan. It doesn't hurt to be nice. That's the other thing. It costs you nothing, but a lot of times you get a better return. There's a lot of truth there. And mm -hmm. that's amazing. I think in my world where I have, uh, I get the opportunity to deal with a lot of seniors and, and interact with a lot of seniors. I, I deal is the wrong word. Interact with a lot of seniors. Do it. Be a part of what, don't dismiss their life experiences like it, it doesn't apply anymore. I promise you it applies. What they've been through, what you're going through, there's a lot of similarities and they, 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 they're just at a different point in their life and we're we're in our middle ages right now and we're 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 making we're saying phrases that we never thought we would say like I will turn that car around if you don't shut the hell up or uh, things that you just never thought you would say and everybody's go everybody goes through these cycles but I think the greatest treasure any country has is your elderly population. And if, if you just spend a little time with them, you'll know that too. They're, they are a absolute treasure and, and spend more time with them. But great story. Great story, Danny. I love it. I thought that was nice that uh, we have ourselves an honorary grandfather, not just the fact that there's an honorary grandfather across the street, but that it's a black family that mm -hmm. adopted their honorary white grandfather and he comes over all the time and they interact and there's no nothing. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful feel good story. We, do you feel that this is the exception? Uh, it would be much more impactful in the South, I think, because there are specific areas of the country where I think this is a problem. Having spent time in that area, um, my folks have a place that's 25, 30 minutes from Pawtucket. They don't care. No. It's not, I don't think it's an issue up there. It wouldn't be an issue where I am. It's not an issue up there. They don't care. Um, there are some kind of woven themes to this episode. In lower income areas, it matters. Pawtucket is actually pretty nice. So yeah, I think it matters where you are in the economic strata. Uh, if you went to a poor neighborhood, then yeah, keep that old white guy away from us. But you know, these people look like they're fairly to do. The video shows that the kids live in a nice area. Um, I don't think it's a thing. But you go someplace else that uh, you're in a lower economic strata, man, might be a thing. But I thought it was a nice story anyway. And I thought it was a great way to end. That's a great story. I love it. That's our show. Please email us, bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Give us a phone call, 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, The Midge, or Mr. Jones, or any of our special guests. We want to hear from you. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say in the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, share with a friend. Every positive review gives an opportunity to share the show and visit and surface the show and have it show up in other people's feeds so that we can get more people to come listen more, add to the ranks of the Bobs. Uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So share a quiet drink with us next episode. Same Brown time, same Brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>